Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to bless and magnify your name for the anointing of your spirit in this place. We exalt and magnify your name. We give you all the glory. We are standing here only because you have made a way. We acknowledge that it is you who has kept us. It is you who has preserved us. As your children have come unto you this evening, we ask for the ministry of your spirit to impact our lives in an uncommon way that all of us will be forever changed. Jesus will be revealed and glorified and we will be transformed in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, gracious Father, for in Jesus' name we have worshipped. Come on, is that the best you've got? In Jesus' name we have worshipped. Amen. Come on, wherever you are, if you can, jam those ends together and give the Lord a big shout. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Good evening to you and thank you so much for tuning in this evening. You've come to the right place. This is KICC Kingsway International Christian Center here in the GTA, Ontario, Canada, where we are raising champions and taking territories. God is building a mighty solid army in this place, and we hope that you will be a part of that winning army. In the mighty name of Jesus, such a joy to have you join us this evening. And for starters, Sunday was super, super amazing. It was such a joy to have, you know, a service with people. Praise God in the room. It was nice to see your faces again. Um, even though no hugs were exchanged, but the warmth of that fellowship was definitely there. For those who were able to show up, it was amazing to have you. For those who are still, you know, watching to see, should I come, should I not come in yet? All right, you need to stop observing. You need to start participating. All right, so I believe the link is on your screen. Go book. In fact, all of us who were here on Sunday, we need to book every Sunday. I know it's a bit of a learning curve. Um, you assume I've reserved my seat, then my seat remains reserved. No, um, we have to do this every Sunday for either or both of the services, 10 to 11. Yes, those wondering, we finished at 11. Glory to God. All right, 11.30 to 12.30. Go book your seat, reserve your seat, invite your friends. We even have less seats available because of the latest provisional guidelines. So I need you to go very quickly, reserve your own seat Reserve for that, friends. Tell them I'm dragging you to church. Enough of staying at home, you know, wallowing in that cycle. All right, you need to get up, get up, come out. Have a wonderful time in God's presence. Glory to God. Glory to God. So the space is safe. For those of us who are on Sunday, as you saw, the space is safe. We clean and sanitize before service, in between services, and after the service. So we've gone above and beyond it's now your duty to ensure you are in the room and that you invite as many as you know to the extent that we have the capacity to receive them. Praise God. I said praise God. I want to strongly encourage you, just a bit of housekeeping before we dive into the word, strongly encourage you to partake in the daily morning prayers. Partake in the daily morning prayers. In the words of one of our pastors here, all right, she actually called it morning services, and I agree very strongly. Please, I want you to partake. We share the word, we pray, we have worship sessions, we've had anointing service online, we've had communion, all right, so those are services by every standard, every de uh, definition. I want to encourage you, we've been doing this for a while now, and as a church, this is our secret. All the testimonies, you see all the amazing things, there's nothing else we know there's nothing else we do. What we do is we pray. Everything you see God doing in this ministry, to the glory of his name, by his grace, unlocked by the power of prayer. All right? And this is a discipline you need to develop. Why? Because Jesus himself set that example. The son of God in flesh, walking the surface of this earth, as his custom was daily, will go to a secluded place early before sunrise to pray. All right, if you had to do it, come on, trust me, you and I have to do it. All right, so please, I'm encouraging you. It's not easy, I know. We've been doing this for so long now. Every morning, I still need to get up. So I get it, I feel you. All right, but there's grace available. We will not condone, all right, um, this, this 
lazy state that our flesh wants to be in, especially when it's spiritual things. When it's time to finish a series, suddenly there's energy to do a vigil on Netflix. But when it's time to pray, you know, rah, rah, all right, and I'm praying that God's grace will be taken full advantage of by you and that he will set your alarm. There's a lot of will coming to play there. The grace is available. You will need to propose in your heart. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to stay awake throughout. Amen? All right, and I'm going to pray. So set your alarms 5 a.m. to 6 God is doing amazing things. For those who work night shifts, early morning shifts, I understand. All right. What you might want to do is ensure that the next day does not dawn until you have partaken, all right, of the of the prayer of that day at a time that works for your schedule. But by all means, please, especially if you're a member of this family, very important that we pray together. That is the secret of the power of the believer. Prayer, prayer. Very, very important. Praise God. Praise God. I hear amazing reports from yourself, pastors. I hear that you've been having a wonderful time studying the Word together, building that sense of community. Some of you now feel closer to your, you know, cell siblings, I should say. They feel like blood right now because you've studied together. You've shared your, your inner secrets in quotes all right giving illustrations and there's just that bond building and for those who are not taking advantage of that opportunity in fact there might be someone listening to this now you are discouraged you've stopped attending cell meetings your cell pastors have reached out to you they've tried to call you you don't pick their calls they've sent you messages you don't reply you just don't want anyone you're not happy you're you're offended in the way 2020 is going and you're just wondering why are they happy why are they still having cell meetings why they still have a church? Can't they see how the year is going? Well, the year is going amazing for us, and that is unrelated to our circumstances. If I were to sit down with you and give you some of the details of the circumstances, you will be mind blown. And that's because we found something called joy. Joy is not related to our circumstances. Joy is the force of the spirit, all right, that has found God. And that is what we're holding on to in this season, holding on to his word. So I want to encourage you, the fact that someone is always bubbly and smiley, it doesn't mean that their life is perfect. It means that they found confidence in the word of God. And they are building community with fellow believers. All of that is to say, do not isolate yourselves. When isolation begins to take place, it's preparation for an attack, for destruction. When you see yourself pushing away the very people that love you, the very people that care about you, the people that will be there for you, push everybody, everybody, then the recipe is now ready for the strike. And please cut that face short right now. You know, gather yourself together, encourage yourself in the Lord, and reestablish connection. Reconnect. Praise God. I said praise God. I, will, I very quickly want to celebrate all of those who made Sunday's experience a huge success. A big shout out to the pastoral and ministerial team. I love you guys. You make it easy to serve. I appreciate you so much. Thank you to the ushers who ensure that the space and just worked overtime before the service, before Sunday, or right in between services, after service. We celebrate you guys so much. Love you. To the praise team. Woo! Okay. A bit biased there. Love and celebrate you guys. Technical team, super amazing. Super amazing. We can't celebrate you guys enough. All the workers, volunteers, they ensure that the wheel is running efficiently. Many people don't see you. You don't come in front of the cameras. But I love you. God sees you. He sees your labor of love. And he is a rewarder. And my heart blesses you. I just felt led to say that my heart blesses you richly. For as many who have said this, hands will not grow weary. For as many who have said that this will work and succeed in our hands, the Lord will bless and prosper also the work of your hands in Jesus' name. Glory to God. All right, are you ready for the word this evening? Are you sure you are ready for the word this evening? Renewing the mind. Renewing the mind has been our conversation for a couple of Wednesdays now. And today, we're going to be talking about developing a biblical or developing a scriptural worldview. It's a very deep topic. Ideally, we should have this topic alone as a series on its own, but I won't do that to you. Someone said, what sort of inception is that? Series within a series. All right. So we will try to cover this. And the truth is, the reason why we won't 
try to stretch it is because it is limitless. So why start going far when you won't get to the end? What you need is the pattern, is a system, all right, uh, to, to see clearly. And that will make sense to you shortly. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. I am sure it is on your screen. I have mine here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It says that this is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So scripture is clear. The will of God is good. God's will for you, for me, for my family, for your family is good. The gap many times is in the state of our mind. The state of our mind. And the word there transformed is to be metamorphosed. And it is my prayer that the grace that makes for a mind to operate at the frequency that heaven can work with, that the Lord will make you to operate at that frequency in the mighty name of Jesus. You begin to think God's thoughts. You begin to see with his eyes. You begin to operate as he operates. You begin to speak as he speaks in the mighty name of Jesus. Glory to God. Last week, we were talking about the seven attributes of a beautiful mind. If that message blessed you, share it, share it, share it. This evening, Developing a biblical worldview, not a Christian worldview, subtle difference, a biblical worldview. Because we can have a group that say we are now the Global Association of Christian Thought Leaders. And whatever they say becomes what Christian is or what evangelical is. So let's, let's stick to scripture, which does not change. <laughs> glory to God. I said glory to God. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 is where we are this evening. Um, it says, all scripture is given by God, is given by the inspiration of God. Literally, what that means is that God breathed into scripture. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Why? It says that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Thoroughly furnished. That's in verse 17. And uh, let me read it from a modern version, verse 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, all right? And we're going to come back to this. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Father, thank you because you will teach us this evening. We will hear you. We will obey you. We will be changed. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. So the big question is, what is a worldview? What is a worldview? Many definitions. I'll give you some of the generally accepted definitions, and then I will give you my own definition, all right? And you don't have to put my name there. It's just to help us understand the direction in which the Spirit of God is leading us this evening. Your worldview is how you make sense of the world. Someone was like, wow, deep, profound. Your worldview is how you view the world, all right? But not just that, but how you make sense of the world, how you make sense of God, how you make, make sense of your relationships and the interconnectivity be between all of those. It's the lens through which you view things. It's the way you interpret events and situations going on around you. Every person has a worldview, whether they are aware or whether they are conscious of it or not. If it's active, if it's passive, we all have a lens through which we interpret, through which we sieve out, through which we make sense of things happening around us. Another definition is a system of recognizing patterns. A system of recognizing patterns will be a worldview. The word paradigm, still fresh in our minds from the International Gathering of Champions, is the lens through which we appreciate events, through which we order the decisions, the dictates of our lives. And there are many potential sources of those lens. There are many people who are looking for lenses to ship to people free of charge, all right, free shipping, buy one, get one million free. A lot of, of contention for the way in which we view the world, all right? But there is a scriptural way. 
There is a Bible way to view and to interpret the word. And that is our job this evening to unveil what that system is, to arm ourselves with that system as believers. And every time we get to the crossroads of lives, when we need an interpretation, where we need to make sense of an event, we are not turning to the multiple options, but we are turning to scripture and to allow scripture to guide us. Somebody say glory to God. Somebody say glory to God. So our working definition this evening, all right, that I'm giving to you, if you are taking notes, I want you to write it down, is that your worldview is the parent of your beliefs. Your worldview is the parent of your beliefs. That means that what really gives birth to your beliefs is your own worldview. You might be aware of it. You might not be aware of it. You might be conscious of it. You might not be conscious of it. Now, the fact that you are a Christian or that you are in church does not necessarily mean that what gave birth to your beliefs is the word of God. And we will always be able to verify that by looking at your life, by examining your real beliefs, your thoughts, your values. And we are checking, where are these from? Where are these from? Are they lessons from suffering? Are they lessons from your background? Lessons from the things and the events you've been exposed to? Lessons from the circumstances of your upbringing? Or have you gotten to that level of maturity where you've taken all of those inputs and you've subjected them to the screen of the word of God, saying that I won't discard everything not just because it should be discarded, but I will expose all of it to God's word. The ones that align, I keep them. The ones that do not align, I jettison them. Child of God, you need to get to a point in your life where anything and everything that does not agree with God's word, you don't hold on to, to a pinch of salt. You don't say maybe, just in case, no. If it doesn't align with God's word, I am discarding it immediately, trashing it in the bin. I am holding on only to what God's word says. Glory to God. Glory to God. And when we begin to examine this, you find that couple of lenses that many have. I, I, I wrote down a few here. This is not even the meat of the evening. So I'm going to breeze through this. There are people who have what I call a hands-off paradigm, a hands-off worldview. So they believe that whatever will be, will be. Whatever will be, will be. If it's meant to be, it will be. All right? It's God. And they have scriptures. It's amazing all the examples that we give. We can find scripture for it. And and let me just begin to say this. One of the big, big, big things I want to hold on to, to this evening is that a scriptural worldview doesn't mean you decide what you want to do and you go look for a scripture for it. It means that you find what scripture insists on and then you adjust your life to it. There is a difference. For instance, somebody who holds on to this view of whatever will be, will be. I don't, if I pray, if I don't fast, if I jump, if I don't jump, if I sleep throughout, what will happen will happen. It's destiny. It's life. They will find a scripture. Say, God is in the heavens. He sits there on his throne. He does however he pleases. He cannot change his mind. He is God. And they have this, this attitude to life that is just, mm, whatever will happen, will happen. That's their worldview. Another example I have here is a victim, a victim worldview, a victim approach to life. Everybody is after me. It's a scarcity mindset. Everybody wants to destroy me. The moment you meet someone, you're already sizing them up. What have they come to take now? What have they come to take now? What have they come to destroy in my life? And people like that, it's very easy to, to discern that this is their worldview, especially based maybe on the circumstances of their upbringing. They are in church, and there is a prayer, praying for God to fill you, all right, with the spirit of wisdom and understanding that the, that, 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 that the light of God's word floods your heart, that God fills you, all right, with strength in your inner man. Pray, pray. All this inner man, all this gentle prayer, all this strength. And then suddenly you just change the, the, this, the focus of the prayer point. Now let us pray that every padlock in your village that's been used to lock your destiny, let the fire of God rain on it. The same people just come alive suddenly. Suddenly. That's because their worldview has saved the initial one. And as said, this one's not what they're saying. Life is a battle. You don't need illumination. You don't need wisdom. You don't need understanding. What you need is battle. We go to the fight. I am the war. I am the fight. I am the battle. That's the approach to life. That is the world. We praise God. And they will find a scripture for it. They will find a scripture for it. The other example there is what I call a usury worldview. Usury. 
It's a transactional relationship. And many of us have brought it into Christianity where God is a tool to be used and where God is only needed on the day something is required. So when I'm sick, I need God. But if I'm fine, I don't need God. I don't need to maintain a relationship. I don't need to cultivate any form of intimacy. God is just there. He's like an ATM machine. He's like a genie. And you'll be shocked. There are messages that have been preached from pulpits referring to God as ATM, referring to God as a genie. It says, make your wish. Faith is your ATM card. Just release it, release it, release it. And many have that worldview. The only problem is the day there is a network failure or the day the ATM doesn't work. Now, they now begin to take offense in God. It didn't show up. It didn't show up. All right, worldviews, ways that we interpret and interact. People are tools to be exploited for many like that. Another view, which is like the predominant worldview in the world today, is a naturalistic worldview. It's the view that we are evolutionary products of random scientific accidents that we just came about to be and that we live in a world that is being rapidly depleted. When we die, that's it. Case closed, it's ended. And that our main purpose in life is to preserve the planet for the children. Very popular worldview. And if you find somebody who is going through this, they might also find a scripture for it. Also find a scripture for it. Number five is superstitious. Superstitious worldview. Every day, these are people who are into omens. Omens. They are looking at today's star readings, looking at tomorrow's predictions. These are people who are blood-washed, saved, but they see something and they're like, oh no, blood of Jesus. A cat is just innocently, you know, walking to the neighbor's door and immediately they are rebuking and binding what is not lost. That worldview there. All right, many people hearing this, they're already offended. I, you can't tell me that cat is not demon-possessed. You can't, Pastor. You don't know that cat. You don't know my neighbor. They, they already want to fight me. All right, glory to God. Glory to God. So I've not come here to tell you what to believe. I've come to present the word of God to you. And like Joshua stood before Israel, he says, I present to you life. I present to you death. I won't walk away and tell you to choose what you want. I will tell you what is good for you. He says, choose life choose life. And it is my prayer for you under the sound of my voice this evening that you will choose life. You will choose to pattern your life after scriptures. You will choose to adorn your life with the values of the word and that your life will bring your father in heaven glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. If they can put it on your screen, Matthew chapter 4 verse 5 to 7. All right. The point I want to make here is that there is scripture for anything you want to find scripture for. There is scripture for anything you want to find scripture for. The Bible tells us that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What we are discussing this evening is how to build our life on the spirit of the word, not on the letter of the word. If you build or you just look for a scripture, you just find something somewhere, all right, and you base your life on it just to back up what you have already chosen to believe, then that's a recipe for disaster. If it's on your screen, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, he says, now this is an account of the temptation of Jesus. He says, then the devil took him to the only city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. All right, now the way I'm going to read is the next verse. And said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Now, the main point here is, for the scriptures say, so the first person to release scripture here, I know this is not the first one, but in this, in, this, in this particular point, the devil quoted scripture. He says, for the scripture says, and indeed the scripture said, he says, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now the next verse says, Jesus responded. I think the, 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 another version says, Jesus also refuted and said, the scriptures also say, now, this is where you need that artistry to form in your scriptural worldview. Because the enemy, we have scriptures for why you should remain broke, sick, poor, all right? And there are riches in God's revealed world, word for why you can reshape your world. And I pray that you will not partner with the enemy. 
You will not pitch your tent in the scriptures that justify your smallness, in the scriptures that you can find that explain away or right destruction, but the scriptures that make for greatness, the scriptures that have your name on them, where it is written concerning you, that you will, by the Spirit of God, begin to lay hold on those promises and you actualize the fullness of your potential. In the mighty name of Jesus, glory to God. I said glory to God. All right, so Jesus gives us an example, a subtle example of a companion or what I will call a, a, a compassion worldview. A compassion worldview. It gives us an example and it's a warning to believers. The reason why we are starting here before we go into the meat is it's a warning for believers that there is something about your journey that makes you, if you are not careful, to be unmerciful. If you are not careful to be unmerciful. And Jesus says, pay attention to that. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 35 tells us about three categories of people. Jesus said the first person was a priest, the second person was a Levite, and the other one was a Samaritan. Same scenario. He said the priests and the Levites who were meant to have God's lenses to see this is a person in need and to address that need and to bring flavor and solution to their world. They were very buried into the routine of their religion. I am a priest. I have sacrifices to offer. I am a Levite. I have temple duty. This person is sick. I shouldn't even be touching what is unclean. All right. It was the Samaritan there that was able to engage compassion. And that was the person that was able to really, in that construct, bring glory to God. And this is just a side note to you under the sound of my voice, that the Lord wants us as believers not to grow to be more. It's not in our nature. I think we're almost re repeating this every week now. That the nature of God that you have is a nature of flavor, is a fragrance, all right, of salt. It's preservation, it's taste, it's savour to your community. To, to Just to pay attention to the need around you. To pay attention and to connect and to meet people where they are. It is my prayer for you that you will begin to see as God sees and that your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your lips, your pockets, your family, your voice will be God's voice to your community. I said it will be God's hands, God's eyes to your world in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody say glory to God. All right. So if you were in the room, if this was an in-person service, I would have played the game. But we are going to try to, to still, I mean, it won't be a game anymore because all of the fun will be out of it. But we are still going to try to make this um, collaborative. All right. I'm going to paint a picture and we are going to walk through various ways people will see that picture. All right. The worldview of the person interacting with this entity, if I can put it that way. I really wished we could play um, the game, but don't worry, when we start gathering in person for midweek services, again, we'll be able to do that. Praise God. All right. So, a slim, young, as I'm speaking, I'm forming pictures. A slim, young lady wearing a white top. It has no sleeves. She has a gold necklace. And she has multiple ear piercings. She walks into a room. That's the case study. She walks into a room. Maybe a fellowship, midweek service, Bible study, Sunday service. She just walks into a room. Walks into a room. Now, if we're playing the game real life, I will have given you a couple of names of people. And you will tell me whose worldview is the statement I'm reading. But because we are doing this online, we'll make the best of the situation. Now, somebody sees that lady and says, Blood of Jesus, she's going to hell. Whose worldview is that? Probably the worldview of the over-righteous, holier-than-thou church elder. Hmm. All right, somebody else sees her and says, Get her a scarf, get her a scarf, quickly, before she defiles us. Get her a scarf, get her a scarf. Now, whose worldview is that? I heard you, I heard you, you're right. That's the worldview of the church grandmas. And we will talk about how they form that worldview one day. It's not scriptural. They were doing it to protect their careless and indisciplined husbands. We said it. Anyways, get her a scarf, get her a scarf, get her a scarf. Before she defiles us, it's not before she defiles us. They're protecting your own interests. That's their own worldview. That's what they see immediately. All right. Now, 
The next person says, oh, she's slim. She looks pale. A bit jaundiced. Anicteric. All right. She might be anorexic or she has some form of eating disorder. Now, whose worldview is that? Someone says, oh, that's the doctor. Let me, there's a medical doctor in the church. He's already sizing her up. All right, he looks at her and sees veins. Oh, I can get it. I can get something in there. World views. You can see how it comes to play. Someone says, oh, she's potentially a great model. Probably there's a fashion designer in the room who has been trusting God for a new model. All right, and that is, oh, wow, the model. Same person, but different interpretations already. All right, someone else says, oh, I need to draw. I need to draw. I need my canvas. I need my brushes. I need my. I need everything. I need to draw. Immediately, you know, this one is an artist. This is an artist right here. Someone says, oh, wow, look at this lady. What are political interviews? What are political views? Pardon me. I need to interview her. What are views? Is she Democrat? Is she Republican? Is she conservative? Is she liberal? Is she pro-life? What does she believe? Does she believe in? You know, immediately, they're already dissecting out to win her over to their party if she's not or flush her out if she refuses to change. You know, there's that political mind worldview. And there are people that's all they see. Black, white, liberal, conservative, nothing else. Republican, Democrat. That's, they see nothing else. That is their conditioned worldview. Hmm. Someone else sees her and says, oh, wow, this is a potential downline. I've been looking for someone to sign up. You know, this one is into multi-level marketing. Buy two, sign five up. You double your money in five weeks. Praise. Someone said, Pastor, move on, move on. So I will move on. Praise God. And then there's another person who has Caesar. This is the soul that Jesus died for. The first question, is she born again? Is she filled with the Spirit of God? Is she on fire? Then let her join an army. Let her join an army that will take the city together for Jesus Christ. Now, you can now examine yourself. And you cannot exhaust all the potential worldviews. But which one was closest to you? Which one was closest to you? How quickly are we to judge people? We don't identify them as people made in the image of God. The homeless person with all the tattoos on their hands. You probably see the way they are moving. Say they are doing drugs. They are doing drugs. They are doing drugs. I won't give them anything. I won't give them a quarter because they might use it and buy more drugs. They might use it and buy more this. Which one was closest to you? And what exactly does scripture say? on exactly how we should interact. Now, it's going to be impossible to list every potential situation in the world and what the scriptural response to it should be. Impossible, all right? If I find any teacher who is able to do that, even in 52 weeks of teaching, I doff my heart to you, man, all right? But there is a system that scripture gives us. There is a system that scripture gives us. And I'm going to show us that system that scripture gives us. And I want to say this. If you're writing down, I want you to write this down. When we interact with the word of God, in, in terms of forming our worldview, it's going to be three possible scenarios. We are beginning to go into it now. And trust me, we'll be rounding up very soon. Three possible scenarios. Now, every time you read God's word, there will be lessons. Every time you read God's word, there will be lessons. There will be moral of the story. It doesn't matter whether you've read Genesis, whether you've read Revelation, whether you've read about Judas, whether you've read about John, whether you've read about James, whether you've read about Ozia, whether you've read about Agai. It doesn't matter. There is always a lesson. Every time we read God's word, there is always a lesson. Also, when we interact with God's word, it might not be per chapter or per verse. But in critical places in scripture, we begin to identify the principles for life. The principles for life. Principles for life. You find them on the pages of scripture. And then the chief of that is in certain places as verified. Now, there's a system to this third one, which is called doctrine. Doctrine is a system of truth. It's the guiding light that ensures that we stay to the core. That somebody doesn't wake up one morning and say, an angel appeared to me. This is what is now true. That can't hold because there is a system of doctrine. How is that formed? All right, it is scriptural, number one. Number two, we find it in the old covenant. We see what the prophets and the Psalms said about it. All right, we now come to the dispensation of Christ. We see what Jesus said about the matter. We now look at the practice in the early church. And then we run with the weakness of the spirits today. 
That is how we address situations of lives. We don't just go and say, this is a lesson. Um, David took somebody's wife. That's my rev, man. I just saw a lady taking a bath. That, that's God speaking to me. PD said my worldview is scriptural. That's the scripture for me. You know, I, I, you don't, no, 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 no. That is not a right application of scripture. That is you moving in your flesh and looking for a lesson to back it on. Your life cannot be built only on lessons. You will need to find the principles of God's word, the repeatability there. And you'll find all of it exemplified and modeled by Jesus Christ while he walked the earth. The witness of the early apostles in the early church. Glory to God. Are you still with me this evening? Are we moving too fast? Is it sounding like a lot? Please let it not sound like a lot. You can break this down. You can revisit the teaching. So what is this system that can allow you to greet situations? Situations. Situations. Should believers gamble? Is it in the Bible? What exactly is sin? All right, those are life questions. What happens when people die? How do we handle grief? We prayed for this person, but they passed on. What should we still do? These are questions that many people meet off guard. But you'll be, you will not shocked, but the word of God addresses all of these things. Sometimes not explicitly, but there is the system there that allows us to reproduce the excellency of the mind of the Spirit with every situation. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So let's go very quickly to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I believe it is on your screen. I have it on mine. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. All right. And I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It says it's a scripture you know very well. So this is Paul here writing to the church. He says, For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable, and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious. If there is any virtue and excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, he says, think on and weigh. Take account of these things and fix them on your what? On your mind. Remember the definition I gave you at the, at the beginning? That your own worldview is the parent's of your beliefs. Now, this is Paul saying that we have the cover to cover of Scripture. As the revealed word begins to come alive, we are seeing Scripture to find, is this true? Is this noble? Is this of honor? Is this just? Is this pure? Is this lovely and lovable? Is this of a good report? Is this virtuous? Is this praiseworthy? Does it exemplify excellence? Will it bring glory to God? He says these are the things we should fix on our mind. These are the things we should fix on our mind. I cannot walk through the eight things Paul mentions here, but I think the most important one is whatever is true. Because truth has become an endangered species in today's world. We are now living in a post-truth world where it doesn't matter if it's red for you, if it's blue. Someone shows up and says, I'm calling it yellow. It's yellow for me. This is my life. This is my truth. This is my reality. It's a postmodern world. It's a post-truth world. But the truth of God's word is settled. All right? And many people will say things like, if it's not scientifically proven, then it cannot be true. Well, I have come to suggest to you that the process for scientifically proving things is a process of verifying guesses, hypotheses. While we thank God for the brilliance of science, I reckon myself to be a scientist. I reckon myself to employ scientific thinking, all right, but I bring all of that and elevate the superiority of scripture, all right, because the strength, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, the strength of science is current evidence, what is agreeable today? Not necessarily true. What is agreeable today? One minute, it's the world's best breakthrough drug. The next minute, it has some side effects, and you start hearing callbacks, callbacks, callbacks. I'm not trying to, to, to reduce your confidence in science, but I'm saying that if what you truly want is confidence, then your confidence should be in God and in God's word. That is what is true. 
That is what has stood the proof, the test of time over the years. That is what when you build, your man scripture says, a wise man builds his life on these truths. When you build your life on that rock, the storms will come to all. It will come to the serious, to the unserious, to the ones who have exposed themselves to scripture, the ones who have not. The difference is that when the storms come, those who will remain standing as 2020 has been a stormy year. Some are standing, rejoicing, testifying, dancing, giving glory to God. Not because they are not seeing those things going on, but because their lives have been built as it were upon the rock of scriptures. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Psalms chapter 12 verse 6. Build your life on the truth of God's word. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth. This is not a peer review journal now. This is not 30 people samples, 50 people archaeological evidence from some cave from 500 million years ago. No. It says it's been tried over in the furnace of earth. It's been purified seven times. This is what I will choose to base my life on. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So science says this is incurable. The word says with God nothing is impossible. Who are you going to go with? Science says expects the worst. It's going to be the worst here. And if you thought 2020 was bad, old my coffee, 2021, and they start giving prediction, 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 and the average person will fear. This is what the experts are saying. This is what the economy is saying. What are we going to do? Should I still go on with my plans? Should I cancel my goals? But someone else who has built their life on what has been tested, tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times, says, yeah, I, I, I pay attention to these realities. I am practical, and we will get to this in terms of planning and decisions, but I do not plan away the power of God. The reality of my life is the reality of his word. 2020 is still a great year. Glory to God. It is still our year of unlimited greatness. It is still our year of shining. We all done to that word. Praise God. Psalm 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, there is no conference. There is no review. There are no infectious disease experts consulting. It says forever, O Lord, your word is settled. Your word is, you don't know what settled means. It is agreed upon. Your word is agreed upon. It is settled. I will rather build my life on this. One more scripture before we go on. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth. The truth is not a body of knowledge. The truth is a person. I'm going to say that again. The truth is not a system of facts. Truth is a person. Facts can be right temporarily so, but they can be very false. The truth is a person. No one comes to the Father except through me. I will rather build my life on this. I will rather build my life on this glory to God. So Paul is instructing us here. He says, your system, the lens. I don't know if you've gone for uh, a visit with an ophthalmologist and they put this thing and they're giving you different ones. Paul is saying, I want to arm you with lenses, not just one. Your worldview will not be formed by one lens. Is it right? Is it wrong? Boom, I've gone. Pastor, should I smoke? Should I not smoke? He now say, okay, Google it. Is there smoke in the Bible? Boom. No such results found. Pastor, peace out. Boom. Is there alcohol in the Bible? Didn't Jesus turn water to wine? Pastor, what did you say? Boom. Boom. Paul is saying you need a system. The way I'm saying to you, child of God, you need a system. It's a system of lenses. A system of lenses. And it's multiple lenses. Multi Remember the illustration we gave last week? The young prophet said, the Lord told me. The old prophet said, an angel told me. There is a system there that you already know. If it's an angel... Many of us have heard the story of, of, of Papa Egan, where he said he saw Jesus in a vision and said something to him. And he said, show me, show me where it is in Scripture. Show me where it is in Scripture. That's a solid worldview based on Scripture. Remember what we also said last week? One of the seven attributes founded on Scripture. What are you running with? What's the word for this season? Remember just before schools in Ontario were about to open, one of our pastors met me, said, the children are going back to school. Um, 
and we are trusting God for protection. I said, yes. I said, interestingly, Pastor Matthew prayed for the children, the headquarters in Prayer City. Oh, she said, yes, we connected, told these children to stand in front of the TV. Now, someone else seeing that, say, foolishness, standing in front of TV. See, the wisdom that we meddle with, the world, we call it foolishness. I said, oh, great. And then I said a word by the Spirit. I said, if there was any time the world needed our kids, it is now. Everywhere the children of God are, the pestilence will be far from it. So, please, if you love your children's friends, let your children go to school. She said, yes. That's the same word the Lord gave us. There was that reckoning, spirit to spirit, that this is the word God has given us. It cannot, it cannot befall our, it's not fake confidence. You can bring the microscope and check. Glory to God. So, the system of lens is there. It says it has to be true. The person of Christ, not a bundle of facts and figures. True, scripture based, scripture ingrained, every decision, every worldview. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of becoming politically active. You know, I want to run with this cause. Pastor, what causes do you think I should support? There's just this burning desire in my heart. The same system, the same system. Oh, Pastor, you know, um, there's this guy, I've been doing this, doing this, doing I'm thinking, what do you think? The same system, the same system. Philippians 4 8. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it honorable? You want to take a second wife, you found a revelation for it. Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it pure? Is it lovely and lovable? Is it of a good report? You know, people say it doesn't matter what people say. Let people say anything. Let the people no, no, it matters. In the lenses that we for it matters. It just matters to the extent to which you are paying attention and who is saying it. But he says there is something called a good report. A good report. Is it virtuous? And is it praiseworthy? Is it excellent? You know, one of the things I've admired from a distance in, in, in KICC as a family is that culture of excellence. Culture. I remember when I was a lot younger growing up. I know now, thank God, that the Lord has supplied a lot of excellent content into the creative arts and music spaces in Christendom. Growing up, when we had Channel O and we had MTV, MTV Base, I know some of those stations ex exist. You know, when it was a Christian song, you could tell immediately. You didn't even need the audio. The video quality was poor. You just see somebody in the clouds wearing white and moving like this. You were just so sure the music was bad. The production was bad. The directing was bad. It was just pop, and it was just as if Christianity equals to low quality, low, low, no excellence. Thank God that the Lord is fixing that now. He says it is part of our lenses. Praiseworthy. Praiseworthy. Excellent. Effort has gone into it. Deep thinking has gone into the planning, into the execution of this. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? Is it virtuous? Does it uphold the highest ideals? Is it praiseworthy? Is it excellent? Praise God. I said praise God. As we begin to wrap up this evening, some of the world's most fundamental questions are the questions that you will need to answer using the system of your worldview. We're going to attempt to answer four of those questions, and then we'll wrap it up. I want to encourage you not to miss any of the Wednesdays going forward. As we are in the month of October, we will wrap up the conversation, all right, on renewing the mind. In the month of November, if Jesus tarries, I will be alive. I trust you will be alive. We're going to have a very solid teaching on a topic that is urgent in the mind of God. Urgent in the mind of God. December, the Lord has told me what to share with you. 2021 is going to be amazing. The Lord has told me what to share with you on Wednesdays in January, February, March. Doesn't God love us? Glory to God. So the quick questions. There are many ways to answer these questions, but there is the scripture way. We are just, this is now practical. We've had the theory. This is now practical. And we want to take these lenses to these key four existential questions. All right, because... Sometimes you just think about life and it does not add up. You see somebody who needs a medical procedure, the hospital bill for the procedure, I'm giving a random example, is $5,000. Nobody to help them, no way. 
the funds will come and they start a GoFundMe campaign. In the same scroll, the same feed, you go to the next, next feed and somebody is just in the club, posts a receipt. They just bought maybe 10 bottles of premium classic wine and you see the price, $10,000. And immediately you just realize that this life is not balanced. Someone else is trying to raise funds for an educational program, trying to train to be a lawyer, trying to, to, to train to be, you know, a, a, a scientist, right? So someone doesn't think I'm against science. I am one. I am one. Or right, trying to train maybe to be a doctor, a pharmacist, trying to train to be a nurse, trying to train to be a lawyer, an engineer, trying to train to be a social worker, trying to, to train to be, to, you know, to bring fragrance to their world. And they are turning left, right, and center, calling all the uncles, all the aunties. And someone there is just, you know, blowing away, you know. Boom, boom, boom. And you almost sink into the entitlement worldview. It's world. It's world. All right. Remember, is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? Is it virtuous? Is it excellent? And praiseworthy. Praise God. So the four quick existential questions are now scripture teaches us to respond because once we have these basics right, then I'm ready to release you to go face the world. I'm ready to release you when it's your place of work and that decision is about to be made. Apart from the witness of your spirit, you can bring a scriptural. Now, you don't have to tell them I'm using it. Nobody announces what worldview they are doing. Remember, it's the parent of your belief. The choices will prove where they have come from. The beliefs, the decisions taken will prove what they are fed from. Number one question, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? It's a big existential question on purpose. Who am I? Well, Scripture has an answer for you, and I'm just going to give one verse or maybe two per point or per question, and then we'll round up this evening. Who am I? Well, I can announce to you that the Bible tells us that we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. There are multiple world accounts of creation, science, evolution, Nordic, ancient religions, all sorts. Even my own tribe from where I've come from, we have our own accounts. Those are factual accounts to the degree and extent to which we verified. Remember, but the truth that I will anchor my life on is on the truth of God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some say, you're stupid. All the education you've had, you have all sorts of degrees. I still choose to, to believe scripture. I would rather believe what is tested and trusted than your flimsy, recent opinion that could change next week or next year. Or next five years. Glory to God. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Is it on your screen? Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word workmanship there means you are a masterpiece. It means you are his poema. That the, the real word there is poema. Yeah, you are essentially a work of art. Please do not allow your BMI, do not allow the scale to tell you otherwise. You are God's work of art. Let it sink in. My body is in process. The Fit Farm Summer Body, praise God, is in process. But the truth today is that I am a masterpiece. And see, when you see me, I'm a, I don't know. How you want to interpret? I have my confidence in God's word. You might interpret it as arrogance, but it is not arrogance. Remember what we said pride is elevation of self, humility is elevation of the grace of God. By the grace of God, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know I am special to my God. He made me in his image as a masterpiece. A masterpiece. I am not random. I am not a random act of nature. I, I, I didn't just come because there was a bang. God deliberately knitted me. He formed me. Even before my parents met, God had me in his mind. He had a purpose for me. He had a path clearly defined for me. And he hoped that I will find him. And for you under the sound of my voice, if you've not found Christ, I don't care how much is in your bank account. I don't care how much influence you think your life is making. I don't care how much followers you think on social media. There will be a world, and you can write this down, there will be a world where social media will no longer be relevant. If all of your relevance is tied to your followers, such a meaningless life, 
There is meaning found in Christ. We are his workmanship. That is who I am. I am created by God in his image to bring him glory. That is who I am. I am a masterpiece. masterpiece. I am in, an intelligent creature made to make an impact in my world and to bring God glory. Glory to God. The next question is, where am I? What exactly is this space that we found ourselves? Science has told us about the constellations and the Milky Way and the planetary bodies and all the various and how Earth is like a speck and then you find your continent, you find your country, you find your city, you find your particular location. I am trying to, 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 to figure out how do I imagine this grand scheme of things. Where am I? I give you two scriptures. Number one, my spiritual location. My spiritual location, Ephesians 2 verse 5, it says that I am seated with Christ. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Verse 6 says, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So my spiritual location is that I am in Christ, and I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In another place, Paul says, far above principalities and powers, therefore I do not subscribe to that victim worldview because I am far above whatever victimizes others. Somebody say glory to God. That is my spiritual location. You can't see that. But I also have a physical location. I am on earth for a purpose. I am on earth for a purpose. I am here right now meaningfully. And I am not scared of death because my work is not done yet. I don't know if someone is listening to me. Child of God, you have no reason to fear. This is not the end of you. This is not the last. In fact, we've not. the world has not heard from you yet. It's time to arise and to begin to manifest the fullness of the grace of God upon your life. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive the glory, the honor, and power. For you have created all things for your will. They exist and they were created. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. I am in the earth for a season, for a period to give him glory, to do his bidding. Then God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. That is why I'm here. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. My spiritual location, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. My physical location, I am in the earth on purpose, backed up with the fullness of heaven's resources to achieve dominion in the earth. And it is my prayer that your life will count. You will not be another statistic. You will not be another casualty. You will not be like a flame that passes away, but your life will count. Your purpose will count. Those lives, destinies, countries, nations connected to you will be grateful that you obeyed. We'll be grateful that you came around. In the mighty name of Jesus, who am I? Where am I? Why is the world the way it is? That's the third question. Why is this world so fallen? Why do evil people prosper? And bad things happen to good people? You know, questions. Now, it's amazing that the world does not want to have a conversation about the root cause of evil. We would rather have intelligent minds, PhDs, thought leaders gather together and start arguing um, and discussing problems, you know. We can trace back very intelligent speech. We can trace back the root of those problems uh, to a couple of, of events that were in the declaration uh, that were made 60 years ago when some of the founding fathers came together under the guise and the assumption, intelligent debates. Oh, uh, okay, we're having a, a conversation on, on sexual, sexual um, proclivities. And the topic is homosexuality and pedophilia. And you have people arguing for and against. So I said, we, we, we need to begin to start paying attention to the science. You know, recent brain scans and imagings have started showing some certain, you know, uh, pre, pre, predisposition of affection towards the younger. And the, the science, suddenly, the science for everything. And nobody wants to talk about the real problem. The real problem is sin. But we would rather talk about every other thing. Now, if I was on TV saying this, 
and I, and I was like, oh, come, you're, you're a young man, you're a medical doctor, you're also pastor in church, we want to get your thoughts on this matter. Nobody wants to hear the real root cause. What they want to hear is the leaf causes, the leaf causes, the branch manifestations. Nobody wants to hear the root cause. There's a problem of sin in our world. For all have seen Romans 3.23 and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's not where the story ends, verse 24. It says, but being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't end in Zoom. There's hope. There's hope. Irrespective of the circumstances, there's hope. The problem is sin. The cure is Jesus. And that takes me to the fourth and the last question. How does this end? How do we fix the wrath in this world? Why don't we all embrace climate change? Why don't we all en embrace environmental replenishing? Why don't we? Why don't we? Why, well, there's something we should embrace, and that is spreading the gospel of Jesus. I remember a song. I think it's sung by Andrew Crouch. It says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is none other. Jesus is the way. Child of God. We live in a very, very complex, complicated, mysteriously wicked world. But Jesus is the answer. My duty, your duty, is to spread the fragrance of the gospel. All of the problems HR have identified, you can reduce those problems when you start bringing the fragrance of Jesus. And you get everybody in the office born again. Everybody in that flat born again. Everybody on that street. Say, God, give me this street. I've heard someone pray, give me this nation. God, let's start with my street. Give me this street. Give me this street. Agai chapter 2 verse 7, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. <clears throat> one all nations is in small caps. The other one is in all caps. I don't know if it is on your screen. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. I believe strongly that after this cloud of gloom and darkness is gone, there's going to be an unveiling of the suns, an unveiling of the suns and a revelation of God's glory. And you and I are going to be a part of that final move. We are in the last of the last of the last days. The enemy is doing all he can to distract, to digress, to do every other thing apart from an emphasis on the gospel. But we are paying attention. We are staying on, on, on track that we will spread the glory of Christ all over the earth. We will take him to the nations. Glory to God. One more scripture. Acts chapter 8 verse 8. Acts 8, verse 8, if you asked any world leader, any world president, any mayor, any premier, whatever title is used where you're from, what do you want for your city? What do you want? What do you want? We have different names for it. Economic development, economic prosperity, societal peace, world peace, all these amazing things. There's a scripture for that. Acts 8, 8 says there was joy in that city. If you want great joy in that city, you take the gospel there. Someone said, this is too biblical. Yes, that was exactly our topic. Developing a biblical worldview. I trust that you've been blessed this evening. Why don't you just take a minute and say, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that has come my way. Thank you for your grace that is released to me to now take this word and begin to examine my life. Remember, it says all scripture is inspired by God. Given to us where we need to be shown what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is not true. It says that the man of God, that you, that I, may be thoroughly furnished, that I may be able to abound in all good works. Father, thank you because by your grace, I am able to run with this word. I am able to examine my life, my decision-making process, my belief system, and I'm able to give them the rightful parent, which is the revealed word of scripture. I am able to focus what is true or what is just or what is pure what is honorable what is lovely and lovable what is of a what is praiseworthy what is of a good report what is virtuous what is excellent thank you father for your words towards this evening praise and honor be unto your name for in jesus name we have prayed 
Very quickly, I want to pray for someone this evening. Under the sound of my voice, you've not met Jesus. You've not met Jesus. You know you are not born again. Your worldviews, your decisions, your values are from another kingdom. You've been offended with God, offended with Christianity, offended with the church. The church didn't show up for you. The pastor didn't show up for you. God didn't show up for you when you needed him the most. And now you're offended. But you've received the word of God. The spirit of God has opened your heart to hear. And you've discovered that the meaning of life is not me. It's not my needs. It's not my desires. It is him and his glory. I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to relinquish the old me. And I'm ready to discover the new me. To discover the newness of life that he has made available for me. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. There is abundant life on the table this evening. I want to encourage you as you acknowledge your need for a savior, as you believe that Jesus came for you, he died for you, took your place. As you confess him, Lord and savior, that your God is not dead. He was buried, yes, but he's alive today. That his life will invade your space. That his grace is supplied to you. That you will live a life of victory over sin. Victory over sin. Victory over sin. And that your life will count for him. Indeed, you will arise to be the masterpiece that you are. The workmanship that you are. You will arise in the fullness of your purpose. You begin to bring glory to God. Thank you, Father, for this. your sons and your daughters making this decision. I ask that every attachment to the old is broken. Every umbilical cord to the scene of their past is severed. That today is a new day as they confess you as Lord and Savior. That you will invade their space. You will supply them with your spirits. Their lives will bring you glory. And they will bring many to salvation. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, because it is done. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Come on, if you've been blessed this evening, jam those hands together and give the Lord a big shout. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by the sermon. And if you would love to be a part of what God is doing in our midst, feel free to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. To be a part of the giving, you can give our email at info, I-N-F-O, at kicccanada.ca or through our website at www.kicccanada.ca slash donate. God is doing amazing things in our midst and we look forward to seeing you soon. Remember, you're a champion. God bless you.